Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 13 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This indeed is an excellent art to be able to draw from God what one had before in the creature. Christian, how did you enjoy comfort before? Was the creature anything to you but a conduit, a pipe that conveyed God's goodness to you? The pipe is cut off, says God. Come to me, the fountain, and drink immediately. Though the beams are taken away, yet the sun remains the same in the firmament as ever it was. What is it that satisfies God himself, but that he enjoys all fullness in himself? So he comes to have satisfaction in himself. Now, if you enjoy God as your portion, if your soul can say with the church in Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Why should you not be satisfied and contented like God? God is contented. He is in eternal contentment in himself. Now, if you have that God as your portion, why should you not be contented with him alone? Since God is contented with himself alone, if you have him You may be contented with him alone, and it may be that is the reason why your outward comforts are taken from you. That God may be all in all to you. It may be that while you had these things, they shared with God in your affection. A great part of the stream of your affection ran that way. God would have the full stream run to him now. You know, when a man has water coming to his house through several pipes, and he finds insufficient water comes into his wash house, he will rather stop the other pipes, that he may have all the water come in where he wants it. Perhaps then God had a stream of your affection running to him when you enjoyed these things, yes, But a great deal was allowed to escape to the creature. A great deal of your affections ran waste. Now the Lord would not have the affections of his children to run waste. He does not care for other men's affections, but yours are precious. And God would not have them to run waste. Therefore, he has cut off your other pipes that your heart might flow wholly to him. If you have children, and because you let your servants perhaps feed them and give them things, you perceive that your servants are stealing away the hearts of your children, you would hardly be able to bear it. You would be ready to send away such a servant. When the servant is gone, the child is at a great loss. It has not got the nurse, but the father or mother intends by sending her away that the affections of the child might run more strongly towards himself or herself. And what loss is it to the child that the affections that ran in a rough channel before 
towards the servant run now towards the mother. So those affections that run towards the creature, God would have run towards himself. That so he may be all in all to you here in this world. A gracious heart can indeed tell how to enjoy God as all in all to him. That is the happiness of heaven, to have God to be all in all. The saints in heaven do not have houses and lands and money and meat and drink and clothes. You will say, they do not need them. Why not? It is because God is all in all to them immediately. Now, while you live in this world, you may come to enjoy much of God. You may have much of heaven. While we live in this life, we may come to enjoy much of the very life that is in heaven. And what is that but the enjoyment of God to be all in all to us? There is one text in the Revelation that speaks of the glorious condition of the church that is likely to be here even in this world. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 21 verse 22. They had no need of the sun or moon. It speaks of such a glorious condition that the church is likely to be in here in this world. This does not speak of heaven, but of a glorious estate that the church shall be in here in this world. And that appears plainly, for it follows immediately in the 24th and 26th verses. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Why? The kings of the earth shall not bring their glory and honor into heaven, but this is such a time when the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to the church. And in the 26th verse, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Therefore, here it must mean this world and not heaven. Now, if there is to be such a time here in this world, when God shall be all in all, and in comparison, there shall be no such need of creatures as there is now, then the saints should labor to live as near that life as possibly they can, that is, to make up all in God. Oh, that you would consider this mystery, that it may be a reality to the hearts of the saints in such times as these. They would find this privilege that they get by grace worth thousands of worlds. Hence is that statement of Jacob's that I have mentioned in another case. It is remarkable and is very pertinent here. In that remarkable speech of Jacob in Genesis 33, when his brother Esau met him, you find in one place that Esau received, refused Jacob's present. In the eighth verse, when Jacob gave his present to him, he refused it and told Jacob that he had enough. What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in thy sight. And Esau said, I have enough. Now in the eleventh verse, Jacob urges it still and says, Jacob, 
I beseech thee, take it, for I have enough. Now in your Bibles it is the same in English. I have enough, saith Esau, and I have enough, saith Jacob. But in Hebrew, Jacob's word is different from Esau's. Jacob's word signifies, I have all things. And yet Jacob was poorer than Esau. Oh, this should be a shame to us that an Esau can say, I have enough, but a Christian should say, I have not only enough, but I have all. How did he have all? Because he had God, who was all. It was a remarkable saying of one, he has all things, who has him that has all things. Surely, you have all things, because you have him for your portion, who has all things. God has all things in himself, and you have God for your portion, and in that you have all. And this is the mystery of contentment. It makes up all its wants in God. This is what the men of the world have little skill in. Now I have many other things still to open in the mystery of contentment. I should show likewise that a godly man not only makes up everything in God, but finds enough in himself to make up all, to make up everything in himself, not from himself, but in himself. And that may seem to be stranger than the other. To make up everything in God is something. Nay, to make everything, make up everything in himself, not from himself, but in himself. A gracious heart has so much of God within himself that he has enough there to make up all his outward wants. In Proverbs 14, 14, we read, A good man shall be satisfied from himself, from that which is within himself. That is the meaning. A gracious man has a bird within his own bosom, which makes him melody enough, though he lacks music. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Luke seventeen twenty one. He has a kingdom within him, a kingdom of God. You see him spoken ill of abroad, but he has a conscience within him that makes up the want of a name and credit that is instead of a thousand witnesses. Roman numeral eight. A gracious heart gets contentment from the covenant that God has made with him. Now, this is a way of getting contentment that the men of the world do not know. They can get contentment if they have the creature to satisfy them. But in getting contentment from the covenant of grace, they have little skill. I should have opened two things here first, how to get contentment from the covenant of grace in general. But I shall speak of that in the next sermon, and now only a word on the second. Secondly, how he gets contentment from the particular branches of the covenant, that is, from the particular promises that he has for supplying every particular want. There is no condition that a godly man or woman can be in but there is some promise or other in the scripture to help him in that condition. 
And that is the way of his contentment to go to the promises and get from the promise that which may supply. This is but a dry business to a carnal heart, but it is the most real thing in the world to a gracious heart. When he finds lack of contentment, he repairs to the promise and the covenant and falls to pleading the promises that God has made. As I should have shown, several promises that God has made, whatever the affliction, I will only mention one, that is, the saddest affliction of all in case of the visitation and the plague. Psalm 91. Those whose friends cannot come to them by reason of the plague, who cannot have other comforts in other afflictions, might have their friends and other things to comfort them. But in that they cannot, we read, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Then there is a promise for the pestilence in the fifth and sixth verses. This is a scripture to those who are in danger of it. You will say that this is a promise, that the plague shall not come nigh them, but mark that these two are joined. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall the plague come nigh thee. The evil of it shall not come nigh thee. Objection. You will say, but it does come to many godly men, and how can they make use of this scripture? It is rather a scripture that may trouble them, because here is a promise that it shall not come nigh them, and yet it does come nigh them as well as others. Answer. One. The promises of outward deliverance that were made to the people of God in the time of the law were to be understood then a great deal more literally and fulfilled more literally than in the times of the gospel when God makes it up otherwise with as much mercy. Though God made a covenant of grace and eternal life in Christ with them, Yet I think there was another covenant, too, which God speaks as a distinct covenant for outward things to deal with his people according to their ways, either in outward prosperity or in outward afflictions, more so than now, in a more punctual set way than in the times of the gospel. Therefore, when the children of Israel sinned against God, they were sure to have public judgments come upon them, and if they did well, Always public mercies. The general, constant way of God was to deal with the people of the Jews according as they did well or ill, with outward judgments and outward mercies. But it is not so now in the times of the gospel. We cannot bring such a certain conclusion that if God did deal so severely with men by such and such afflictions, he will deal so with them now or that they shall have outward prosperity as they had then. Therefore, that is the first thing for understanding this and all other texts of the kind. Number two, perhaps their faith does not attain to this promise, and God often brings many outward afflictions because the faith of his people does not reach the promise. And that not only in the Old Testament, but in the times of the New Testament. Zechariah's time... 
may be said to be in the time of the New Testament when he was struck with dumbness because he did not believe. And that is given as the cause why he was struck with dumbness. But you will say now, has faith a warrant to believe deliverance, that it shall be fully delivered? I dare not say so, but it may act upon it to believe that God will make it good in his own way. Perhaps you have not done as much, and so because of that, this promise is not fulfilled in you. This concludes episode 13 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment.